Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and as always, my co-host is... My name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we are semi-excited to be talking <laughs> to be talking to you about what I guess is the oldest movie we've done. I feel like we say these things and then we find out that it's not in fact true. Like, we don't we do know. a lot of research, even on our I own, uh, our own, own stuff, podcast. But, we, but I'm point, pretty sure I was like, it's We've never done a zombie movie in like three episodes before <laughs> that we had done. <laughs> anyway, we are excited. We're, we're excited to be talking to you again about the 1970-something film Zardoz. into the vortex. You will show me how you come to be here. Ah! Tell me everything. My name is Zed. Bozandos, I am an exterminator. Okay, I apologize that that trailer was three minutes long and just full of 70s, whatever, but it does prepare you for the experience of the film. 
Chris, do you have a synopsis for us? I do. This is from uh, IMDb. Uh, so it starts. Oh, and um, this is a 1974 film. It is directed by John Borman, who uh, I think is probably best known for Deliverance and maybe Excalibur. Um, and it stars Sean Connery, Charlotte Rampling, and then a bunch of other people that I don't, I don't know who they are. Um, all right, so twenty. the year is 2293. Zardos, an unseen god who speaks through an idol, a large stone statue of a head, leads a barbaric race called the Brutals, who live a harsh existence in the Outlands. Zardos tells the Brutals that once they die, they will be transported to the Vortex, where they will live happily as immortals. He has armed a small group, the Exterminators, with guns, as Zardos' philosophy is that killing is good and procreation is the root of all that is bad. In reality, Zardos is Arthur Fran, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, from a competing, more advanced race called the Eternals, who live in paradise in the Vortex. Uh, the Eternals truly are immortal as they do not age and their bodies undergo reconstruction if they die, quote unquote die. As such, they truly do not believe in procreation as their society has reached perfect equilibrium. Uh, and then it doesn't say this in here, but Sean Connery is one of the brutals and he manages to get inside the vortex and he kind of messes things up in there and we sort of go from there. One thing that I thought was very funny uh, the plot keywords, th these are a few of the plot keywords on IMDb, uh, loincloth, surrealism, barefoot woman, female frontal nudity, hairy chest. There you go. I, I liked hairy chest. As, and there's a lot of hairy chest in this. So And loincloth. And Although loin I don't know how else you could describe what he's wearing. Diaper? Yeah, it looks like a diaper kind of. So well. you, I had seen this. You had not. Mm -hmm. So you go first. Okay. So... <clears throat> The I didn't I didn't even watch a trailer for this. I was always aware of this movie, and had always wanted to watch it. And if you just Google Zardos, the first thing you are going to see is Sean Connery in this ridiculous outfit. It's like red underwear, and then he has uh, I don't know what you call those. What do you call the thing with the bullets like that go a across? Bandolero. Your... Bandolero. Yeah, I was going to say bolero, and I knew that wasn't right. But... Two of them crossed across his chest, like suspenders of the sort but they and are he, also red and they are red and he has this uh long black hair with a pulled in a ponytail and this big mustache that was all i knew about this movie so based on that image i thought this was going to be a cheesy sci-fi action movie it is not that at all um this is a very uh trippy philosophical um kind of a film uh sean connery is right, good in believe it or not it's a thinker <laughs> it is yeah it it's is a thinker and you know you said chris um we had talked a, a couple of times about doing this and you said it's it's slow and we've talked about this before on other episodes i don't know if our um you know, our modern brains have been wired to where it, all the fast cuts and everything in movies and commercials, when we watch something like this, it's difficult for, for us. But um, this movie is well made. There there are some neat concepts. And in the, the very opening of this is Sean Connery and the other dudes like him, the, the Brutals, and they all have the same dumb outfit. 
and they ride there's this big floating stone head that lands and the guys all run up on their horseback and <clears throat> guns and uh, shotgun shells shoot out of its mouth and this voice comes from inside and I don't know, tells them to go out and kill and the penis is bad. They're not supposed to procreate for some reason. Um, they're allowed to. Yeah, they're allowed to, but they can't let the other populace that they just basically exterminate. Right now, were they also brutals or they're a different race or what? I was un- I was kind of unclear about that part. Yeah. Okay. So let <clears throat> me jump in here a little bit. From okay. Sure. What yeah. I know just, it's not, clearly explained in the movie i didn't think i watched pretty closely for it this time but i read some other synopses and stuff of it so some some human caused disaster has happened on earth and it's basically a wasteland most of it and the uh, eternals or the the people that we come to meet eventually um created a literal bubble for themselves a sort of a force field dome where they set up hydroponic stuff and all kinds of uh, technology that must have been very advanced at the time and a an ai that they call tabernacle i think that is basically keeping them alive indefinitely and youthful they can die, but when they die, Tabernacle kind of, you know, clones them a new body. So then they, they're back, and we see the room in which people are in various states of regrowth. And they, they one of them has been manipulating the um, everybody else who lives outside. And it turns out he's been doing genetic breeding and stuff. On them, and that that gets deeper into the plot line later. But he's been manipulating these brutals by, you know, divide and conquer. He's created a group of them that they think of themselves as the chosen few. They're the exterminators, and their job is to sort of kill because apparently population. Um, they're just trying to control the non-eternal population in some ways, um, and they've they've gotten the. Uh, exterminators to enforce these other people alive at the time to farm and then they so they they bring the grain the eternals don't eat meat right so they 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 bring the grain and they load it in the mouth this you know kind of gaping maw of this giant stone literally a godhead that that flies Mm -hmm. around and then it vomits out um guns and bullets and he says you know You've pleased Zardoz, you've done well, you know, take the guns, go, you know, call the population, return with grain, and we'll give you more guns, right? The uh, exterminators don't eat, um, they don't farm, right? That's kind of anathema to them, and we find out that later. But they're all human beings. It's just that these Eternals have segregated themselves and indefinite it, it, it can only be hundreds of years because it's like 22 something right 2293 is what they say and yeah. there's really just two generations so there was there were the people that started this kind of eternal bubble and then they have a generation of offspring who are in control now who we meet but um they have stopped breeding basically they've because of this harmony equilibrium when we meet them they're bored 
So there is, you know, friction within their ranks. Some of them want to stop doing this and sort of rebel and and just die. And, and others, um, so their minds have become kind of perverse in some factions and other factions. So the, I agree with you that there's a bunch of really interesting sci-fi conceptually mm-hmm. in this. And I think part of the problem is I think they do a pretty good job with the effects they had. It's clearly not a big budget movie. Um, but like that stone head is really cool, you know? Very cool, yeah. And and there are some visuals and concepts in it, and you're like, that's really, really cool. And style gets in the way a little bit. So the fact that the Brutals wear black leather thigh-high boots, and <laughs> why? And, and then otherwise a kind of a red thong, and a, a red bandolier, like why are they color coordinated? And they wear kind of Zardoz masks. It's just like a double-faced helmet. Um, and then the guns are not futuristic guns. They're just 20th century guns. It's like Colt 45s and shotguns and stuff. Um, and they ride horses, and, but they're all wearing matching uniforms. Like why? Why are the exterminators wearing matching uniforms? How does that figure into the whatever? The style of it, and you know, and they have things that are supposed to be like hydroponic bubbles of some future technology, but what they've got, it's plastic. And they do neat tricks to sort of make it look like he's running his hand along it when he first gets there, and his hand kind of goes inside, and he pulls his hand out like, well, you know. And and you realize, oh, I, that's not just supposed to be a big plastic bubble. That's supposed to be some kind of future force field bubble or something, and they're trying to make it look like it's permeable if you put enough pressure on it. I don't know. But it, the effect gets spoiled a little bit because you can see it's obviously this plastic bubble, and they're just plastic tubes, like hydroponic tubes and stuff that just have, like, green liquid kind of pumping through it but not you know it's like somebody with a pump is pumping it and sucking it so it's not the if you look closely at the effects they fall apart because they didn't have the budget to do it convincingly and they whoever they had doing the thing didn't get specific enough with the manifestation of it right so Mm -hmm. you get the concept of like oh then you go into a room where they're growing these clones and there's all this stuff pumping back and forth um but what it looks like is a bunch of plastic tubes with stuff just kind of, you know what I mean? Does, yeah. does that make sense? It doesn't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They got far enough to convey the gesture, but not land. The, you know, the awe has to be done in the acting, and we have to overcome what we're seeing on the screen. And they didn't, I don't think they really took the time to do that, to make the actors. Imaginate, you know, make manifest with their performances and their imagination the world we wanted to see. There's a neat sequence where he finds the edge of the sort of force field dome and he's pressing his face up against it. And whatever they have him pressing his face up against is suitably invisible, that it's just neat. You know, there's one shot where he sort of bangs his hand against nothing and he's kind of miming hitting something. And you're like, okay. And then there's another shot where they have a curved pane of glass or something. 
but we don't see that. But then he sort of presses his hand and his face up against it, and we're on the other side of it. And you see Sean Connery's face smush up against this thing that we do. And I'm like, that's a great shot. You know, that's yeah. a great practical shot where it worked. So I'd say about 20 to 30% of the time, their no-budget camera tricks work in, in kind of conveying a magic, magical thing. But it's undercut by the rest of the time it doesn't quite work and you have to imagine around the kind of clunky effect and it's a real um the movie is slave to a bunch of stylistic choices of the time right i mean his outfit is absurd there's no like function to it right why would this guy wear what is this fashion outfit there's nothing functional about that outfit. I have a, I have a, this is my own little theory of, about this. I, you know, I could be totally off on this, but I wondered if um, that was, they were kind of turning gender on its head because yep. it's really like more of a, of a costume, especially in the, in the sixties or seventies that, a woman in a film like this, you know, think about Barbarella or something right. like that. This would be like an outfit that she would have worn, but instead they have men wearing that because it's the high, thigh high boots, you know, and, and all that. So I, I, I almost took that as, as like they were, they were saying, okay, we're going to take a, a, a outfit that would typically be for women and put it on men. It doesn't really work, but you know, it's also not just the matching outfits that these brutal stormtroopers uh, are wearing, right? They also have, Village people handlebar mustaches, mm -hmm. all of them, all of them. Like it's not that some of them wear beards and some of them are clean shaven. They're all clean shaven except for these, you know, drooping Freddie Mercury uh, mustaches, and they all have like waist length long hair that they braid in a single heavy like, you know, um, I don't I don't know how to describe like Elsa, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. from Frozen. A, a thick, thick, heavy braid that they wear over their shoulder. So, again, it, it's so uniform that it's not just style. It's not like, oh, that's cool now. No, they're they're in a uniform that is also includes a haircut, right, and uh, and a style of facial hair. Like the military has a haircut. You're generally you're supposed to be clean shaven, and generally you just have a buzz cut or buzzed head but in this you grow a waist length thing and you braid it and you grow a mustache and it's so ridiculous looking <laughs> and like you said nothing about it is practical you know the hair or the outfit or anything and i wonder if it was just the, you know so much of this feels of its time but i i wonder if it was just the time i wonder about um Sean Connery, what his reaction was, you know, like, did they think, Hey, this is a cool futuristic outfit. Or was he just like, I look ridiculous. You know, I mean, uh, I don't well, know. And they would have been, they, they were casting James Bond too, because this was in the period after he had finished the bomb films and he wanted to reinvent himself as an actor. Now I, I actually, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I actually, so I read the, uh, Wikipedia page on this and it has quite a few, um, uh, quotes from the director that that give you some insight into this and it's it's kind of hard to imagine this now because of the career that he had that the connery had you know especially in the 90s but um the director said that um 
in this time period, Sean Connery couldn't get work. And, you know, he, it was like, he's James Bond. And I guess they didn't want to, you know, he was kind of typecast as that. And they didn't want to cast him as anything. The, um, the original choice for this role was Burt Reynolds, who had worked with John Borman on Deliverance. And he got sick and couldn't do it for some reason. And then they, they offered it to, to Connery. But it's the way, you know, John Borman made it sound, it was just like he, he wasn't getting any other work. So interesting. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't think Sean Connery, I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. I don't think he does a bad job in this. No, he's I, good in this. It's a very different role. It's for not him, that you know? anybody does a really bad job. It's that when you look at the project as a whole, it is so ambitious and undertaking. Like it really is incredibly dense and wide ranging and sociological. There's a lot of gender stuff going on, right? The Eternals, um, have kind of lost their sex drive. Um, so when Sean Connery sort of sneaks into the mouth of this thing and then it flies back to where they are and then he comes out and and then they've got this kind of Tarzan figure, this kind of wild man in their, in their midst. And some of them want to kill him and, and some of them want to study him and some of them think he's interesting and want to keep him around because it's, they're bored otherwise, you know? And they keep them around, and then the, you, then we peel the onion back. But part of what they're fascinated about is that he is this kind of, you know, he's this animal, really. He has, they can, they're sort of psychic, and they can kind of read his memories. And there's memories of him raping women and murdering, you know, just gunning people down as he rides on the horse. That's what they do. That's what their god has told them is to do. And... As Ardaz is their god, um, that one of these Eternals controls. It, and and it, it really plays around. So all of the Eternals are kind of ambisexual, right? The men are relatively effete, and the women, they by 70 standards, they make sort of strong. There's a lot of women in positions of authority within their collective. And as they experience his memories and uh, and experience his violent outbursts like he'll you know knock over tables and 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 grab women and stuff um some of them who have become apathetic to life and in a sort of a standing coma so they kind of start to come out of it so in some ways they're painting that that the Eternals aren't necessarily good, that it's become this stagnant thing. So it's making a lot of explorative um, gestures into what is human nature and what is good and what is evil. And is it good to con- as people to try and control or is it, but, but maybe not too much. And it, there's really a lot going on in this movie. Yeah. But it does sort of set itself up like uh, like an action film, and it's not that at all. No, not at all, not at all. And and I think the performance is like I don't I don't get the sense that the director went into that too deeply with the performers, because there are moments when you could really unpack some of this stuff that I don't see it being unpacked. So there's just enough. I watched it very carefully this time. The first time I saw Zardoz, I it just bored me to sleep, you mm-hmm. know, and I had to kind of keep waking up and starting it back, going back and finding where I'd, this time I was watching it very carefully and I was much more impressed with 
The Undertaking. Now, that's not to say that I think it's a successful film as much as it was a much more interesting film to me going into it with the expectation that it was going to bore me to sleep. It didn't bore me to sleep this time, but that was, I, I mean, I, I recommend, I was like, I don't want, you don't want to watch Zardoz, it's so boring, <laughs> right? But um, did you see all of that stuff? You know, and Charlotte Rampling, who I only knew from her later career as a much older woman. She's is, really gorgeous she's in this. She's gorgeous. She's yeah. so beautiful yeah. and fierce. I mean, she's a terrific actress. I, I have known that all along, but. She is really, she does a lot with just, a, you know, with a, a, a word or two of dialogue and this riveting stare, you know, this force of will that she could project on screen. So it's her and there's another couple of people and Connery that kind of anchor it. And then you have, there's also a kind of a comic element, like they, they, the director is clearly trying to inject some levity and in places into it that I feel like is uneven and doesn't quite work. But I, I hate to just pan the movie because because I'm impressed by what an ambitious undertaking it was. The st stylistic elements we've already discussed discussed are, are are laughable frequently. Like they they do a thing where they're like they don't actually the the Eternals don't commit violence on each other, but they can commit psychic violence on mm -hmm. each other, right? And that's mm -hmm. a punishment. They don't kill each other, but they age. So there's a place where there's the sort of rebellious ones that won't reform and they're all old people in this other section of it where they're all kind of <laughs> running around and and uh, their punishment has been that they've been aged to a geriatric state, but but they won't be put to death. Um, and so they'll do this thing where they're kind of, they're in council and somebody will, will go against the collective and they all put their arms out like sleepwalkers and they twiddle their fingers and widen their eyes, and they're all like, woo, 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 woo. you know, and the other guy's like, no, no, <laughs> and then you're just like, oh boy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's the kind of thing that you know, second or third grade kids would do, like, you know, it just, you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, it, yeah. It, I know what you're going for when you film it, but when you make that choice, it's comic. You couldn't have thought of another way to, because it's not supposed to be a funny moment. It's supposed to be a scary moment. Sean Connery standing there witnessing this. They're not even touching this guy, but he's obviously being tormented, you know. And it's a, and he's kind of looking on in, in you know something like horror, aghast at what they're doing. And meanwhile, it's the scene is funny because of the kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I feel sure. like there were just a lot of directoral choices that undermined what I feel like he might have actually been going for. Yeah. And um, so some of what I read on the Wikipedia page addresses some of the things that you brought up. So, for example, with the effects, the director said that they didn't, for the most part, plan them out ahead of time. They just did them on the set you know, at the time that they were, um, you know, that they were shooting that day. So they were just kind of filming what they were experimenting with. Mm -hmm. So, which that seems, you know, in hindsight, that seems pretty obvious because there's a lot of, and, you know, and this is something that is very much of this era of, of filmmaking, it seems. There's a lot of trippy scenes where it's, 
you know, he's in a hall of mirrors and right. there are bodies pressed up against the mirrors and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very, uh, trippy. Um, Charlotte Rampling said that the movie was, it was like poetry to her and it very much feels like that, you know, where there's not always necessarily a real structure that we're used to, especially today in films. And, um, this was in, I read this on IMDb. This wasn't a direct quote from the director, but uh, in somebody's review, they said that they had seen an interview with him where he said that this film, he dreamed it. It was fu- a fully formed dream. You know, he just woke up and had the whole story. And I don't know about you, but I've had this happen a, a couple of times where it's like you wake up from a dream and 30, you know, 30 seconds later, you're just like, that was amazing. And right. I should write that down as a screenplay or, you know, a novel or something. And then an hour later, you think about it and you're just like, that made absolutely no sense. Right. You know, So it definitely has that feel of there's a definitely a dreamlike quality to this. And um, I agree. And, and that's the execution and the experience of watching it. But when you get into the nuts and bolts of the storyline of the thing, it's actually quite epic. So we discover that his climbing into the mouth, none of this was arbitrary, that the guy that has been sort of, nobody really wanted to deal with the people outside of the bubble. So this guy said, I'll do it. And for years and years, he's been doing this thing none of them knew about with these exterminator guys, right? Mm-hmm. And it turns out that's been like a genetic breeding project he's been doing that resulted in Sean Connery. So Sean Connery is a mutant. We find out that he's like the third generation of this mutant strain that the guy, you know, kind of stumbled across in eugenics and then cultivated. He He's able to kind of adapt and resist their mental powers. Eventually, he gets stronger and stronger. And the, the guy's whole plot, like him being there wasn't an accident. He wanted to bring... He wanted to basically breed a Neo, right? A Sean, uh, uh, mm-hmm. the one, and then bring him back to end this experiment they had going or take it to the next level, but to introduce paradigm shifting change into their stagnant reality. And that was part of a grand plan he had going, we discover. Yeah. So. You know, and then and then so and then Charlotte Rampling is originally his his nemesis. He she is against this guy being here and then bringing him in. They're like, we need to kill him right now. You know, this is a wild variable in our perfect society. This can only bring trouble. And by the end, they're lovers. Like by the end. and, and, And it's done in a variety of discussable ways like there's a little bit of 70s like it's just his animal magnetism and you know no woman can resist him and stuff that feels a little outdated (laughs) yeah today (laughs) but but there's also elements of like she really has this sort of societal thing and she comes to see how there has been um decay from within and that what really does need to happen is a purge she she initially thinks that he's there to destroy it because he's the enemy of the thing. And she comes around, not just because of his thick chest hair, but she ends up coming around <laughs> to see that 
that this thing isn't working anymore and there has to be not just an end of it all but a but some next thing mm-hmm. and she ends up being the sort of eve to his adam and they bear a child and it ends in this weird sequence with them out in the outlands in a cave sitting there like a family portrait as the two of them get older and the kid gets bigger until he's a, a young man and then walks out a picture and then they just basically turn to skeletons until they're skeletons. I really like, liked that. I thought that I was, too, but I mean, I, it, but... it was weird and it made me laugh kind of, but it, but it was a cool, uh, I, I like just like the way that was shot, but it really does end with them sort of <clears throat> literally popping the bubble mm-hmm. and it all comes crashing in and, they run off and she's pregnant and they're the kind of Adam and Eve of a new world. And we don't loop back around to know what is happening to everybody else out in the outland. But right. the idea is that you have these sort of two genetically superior things that start a new chapter, but not sequestered from the rest of the world. Maybe yeah. going on to lead it or something else. We we don't know. You So you, so you think, wow, that was like... I read something where he had he had he didn't complete it, but he had initially made attempts at at uh, adapting the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, for yeah, film. I read that. And, as well. and then when I thought that, I'm like, oh, so you know, this is of that scale. This is like, this is really thinking about generational evolution and plans within plans, and you know, forgotten history and uh, and almost foretold futures, or you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, One of the, uh, another quote from him that, you know, gives a little more insight into it is he said that basically his idea with the movie was he felt at the time that technology was moving, uh, society, technology and society was progressing quick, more quickly than people's emotions were. So, you know, he was kind of saying we're, I guess we're kind of able to cure a lot of ills in a way through technology, but you know, people's uh, they haven't really advanced that much um, as far as their thinking, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I kind of wondered if also with, again, this was just my own idea, but the, they, the Eternals live in a commune essentially. And, you know, this would have been, um, you know, the sixties had come to an end and by this point, you know, early to mid seventies, in a lot of ways, the sixties was viewed as a, a failed experiment, especially after kind of the Manson, uh, murders was, you know, it was kind of viewed as the end of, um, you know, sort of the hippie era. So I kind of wondered also if this was a bit of a commentary on that communal kind of lifestyle and it ending. I don't know. A little but... bit, because if they are a commune, they make their own bread, but they don't grow their own grain, right? Yeah. So the resources on which they literally live, they don't know it because they don't bother to look deep enough into it. You know, mm-hmm. one of them is doing this. They're not questioning where the grain comes from or how they come to get it, but it's literally built on the blood and slave labor of the rest of the surviving human population, right, right. outside their walls. Yeah. So they get to be blissfully... Ignorant, but but the, it's a pretty unflinching portrait of them as being a an impotent, literally, and vapid society. Yeah, and it's very much cloaked in this kind of hippy dippy, like lovely thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. without being um, biting satire. Like it doesn't, 
This movie doesn't really smash any nails on the head, with the, with the exception of Zardoz being a literal godhead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. lying head that looks like an angry Old Testament god. Right. Which I think is one of the coolest visuals in the movie. Frankly. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the opening, you know, it start, like I was saying, it started and I thought, wow, this maybe is going to be a really I know. This cool head film. Fly, you know? The design of the head is really neat. And the eyes are these sort of, you know, crystal cutouts and they're lit up from the inside. And it's just this head comes flying through space to this crazy music. Not flying through space, flying through the sky. And you're just like, whoa, what am I looking at here? Right? And it looks expensive. It doesn't look like it's made out of paper mache or something. Or hanging know, from mean, a wire. Yeah, yeah. It looks, it's a really good effect. But I think it's just that there were some, like you brought up the thing about they, when they're punished, they make them older. Well, that's, you know, that's a really interesting concept and, and kind of nightmarish when you think about it. You know, if you think, okay, it, you know, would it be great if you could live forever? Well, if you live forever and you're 25, you know, if you're just 25 forever, maybe that would be great. But if you're 80 forever, that wouldn't be great, you know? Um, it's so it's it, in many ways it's crueler than death. Yeah, what they 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 rebel because they want to die. Right, and their punishment is, well, we're not going to let you die. We're going to make you really old forever yeah and you're kind of like man that's <laughs> that's messed up you know yeah yeah definitely i mean like i say you know that's that's a pretty nightmarish uh thing to think about it's also a generational comment like you know so what are these young hippie things what what's the fate worse than death being old this was the era of don't trust anybody over 30 you right. know um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, watch it's, you know, you used the word interesting earlier. It's more interesting that it is entertaining, uh, which I agree. Ultimately, you know, you watch doc documentaries to be educated and sometimes entertained. You watch movies usually to be entertained. So a movie not being very entertaining is, a problem. You know, that's yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's a, a problem for that's sure. That's a problem. But it's I'm interested I, I've always been interested in watching movies that of this era because they're so different than what we get today and you know, it like you said it doesn't look like there's much of a budget to it and I don't think there was. But this was a major studio release. This is 20th Century Fox. Mm. And you just you watch this and you just think there's no way that a studio would do something like this now. It just wouldn't get made. Right. You know, just something this weird. And, um, and it, it's, uh, and so I, you know, I, I enjoy watching these movies from that standpoint. Um, I wonder that, how was, how was it received at the time? Um, I don't know. That's a, that is a good, uh, that I didn't, I, I've read a lot of people of stuff like, it being panned now um, and just being viewed as kind of a cheesy movie, which, you know, which it's not. Um, here, you, you talk some and I'll, I'll look and see what I can find about. There's the another, there's a, there's a number of things that feel like little red herrings too, that are tropes that we see in other things. Like in some of the horror movies of, of, previous decades and of the 70s there's this horrible revelation right people 
Soylent Green is people, right? At the end, the, the horrible realization is that it's been, there's this twist, like we misunderstood it. Like, oh, it's, you know, how to serve man. It's a cookbook. It's a cookbook, right? And so there's a, there's a point in this film where Sean Connery, I, he knows how to read, right? Which none of the outlanders know how to read, but he does know how to read or taught himself to read. He, you know, he's a mutant. He's special. And he's reading through all these books. And then there's this sort of, at the end, somebody is floating this book in the back and he comes and we, we find out that it's Zardoz. I mean, the movie opens with the floating head of the guy who is controlling Zardoz, and he says, I am the puppet master. And he has like a drawn-on mustache and a drawn-on goatee, and it's very strange. And you're like, why are we getting a monologue? He, uh, I also read, he added that on later to try to people didn't get make it. it, yeah, to try to make it a little bit more, um, you know, understandable for people. Um, so this will let you know about the reception it says uh when the film was released it was immediately met with terrible reviews along with the scathing reviews the public reacted very very poorly to the confusing world of zardos Hmm. it cost uh 1.57 million and made 1.8 million well it almost made his money back yeah yeah so anyway so the he gets the book and he starts to read the book and he's like no no you know and this is maybe halfway through the movie not quite right but he's having that horrible revelation moment the book is the wizard of oz Mm -hmm. so he kind of covers the w with his thumb and the of with his other thumb and what's left is zard oz right and Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be this guy realizing that his god you know he explains it to another character it's a book about a man behind a big mask manipulating people, pretending to be powerful and magical. So he realizes that Zardoz is just this kind, his god that he's spent his whole life worshiping is just a construct and a manipulation, more than just a construct, but um, a tool to manipulate him and his people. You know, so there's that moment that feels like the ending of another movie, but it's just supposed to be um, a mile post in this character's evolution, right? Where we mm-hmm. see the we see the scales fall from his eyes again in a series until he sort of he's beginning to believe, and then he realizes that he you know, he comes to see this. It's not just an impulse to destroy; it's a sense of destiny, and you know what I mean. It's so. There's a Messiah story here. There's a Wizard of Oz story here. It's a bunch of kind of ar- archetypal stories overlapping. There's an apocalypse story, you know, um, all layered on top of each other. And I'm not saying that those things need to be, uh, I'm sorry, those things are of necessity mutually exclusive. But they each have a kind of a film history of their of their own sort of set of tropes and cliches and this movie calls upon a number of those various tropes and cliches and it doesn't harmonize in that way 
Does that make sense? Do you know oh, what I'm talking for, about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So on the one hand, it's a sort of a psychedelic hippie movie, and another man, another way, it's a sci-fi. It's a sci-fi epic about generations and um, manipulation. And hang on one sec, Chris. Sure. So I don't remember what I was saying. You, you were talking about that it didn't really harmonize, and uh, yeah. That it they basically needed to pick a lane. I mean, it was just kind of like I have all these I- different ideas. I'm going to throw them all into one movie, and you know, it doesn't quite. Uh, I even I don't know if it was intentional, but it would have been you know very popular at this time. Uh, the the stuff with when they first kind of capture him and they're saying you know he's a beast and all this stuff that was very. I had Planet of the Apes vibes with yep. that. I don't know if you so you know I'm sure and. Um, I also think the the one of the there's a cool poster for it that is on the Wikipedia page or on IMDb, and the tagline is um, is beyond 1984, beyond 2001. So I think they were setting this up to be, you know, um, 2001. They called the ultimate trip, you know, and people would go and um, drop acid and stuff, you know, in the theaters watching that. And with that movie. You know, that was a confusing movie that that audiences connected with. But with this. But it uh, had specificity. It did. It did. But with this, like, I was just thinking, you know, it's a slow movie as it is. And I thought, man, if you were high watching this, this would seem like it was about 10 hours long. You know, yeah. so, 2001 is a very long. Very it is. It movie is. Yeah. It's an incredible movie and it's right. a beautiful movie, but it is a slow fuse. It is. It is one of my favorites. I got to see that in the theater uh, a couple of years ago, and yeah. it was amazing after seeing it, you know, a million times at home. You know what's really but, amazing to me about that movie is we had not seen the Earth from space yet. Right. Like that had not happened. So you look back on it and you go, man, I don't know. The depiction of the Earth from space is pretty pale. Like it's very washed out looking. But we know what Earth looks like from space now because we have a million yeah. pictures of it. They made this movie before we ever had men up in space to take pictures of from up there. Yeah, it's crazy. And the the ship effects and everything have never really been surpassed, you know. No, they're amazing cuz they're um, practical. Right. Yeah. They look fantastic, but um yeah, I don't know. It's this is a movie that um I'm glad I watched it. I mean, I it's kind of, you know, I can check that off. Um cuz as I said it was interesting and they're there's some good visuals in there. Like we've said, a lot of different cool concepts, but it, it kind of just doesn't all come together. You know, can you imagine though, if, if, if another director handled this material, like forget the red speedo and, you know, forget the style elements that make it kind of laughable now. But if you, if, if you took a Spielberg or a George Lucas or something and was unpacking this, you know, post-apocalyptic thing, 300 years in the future. You know, there's a time machine, H.G. Um, Wells element to it, too, where there are the, the kind of the, the eternals or the sort of elite halves. And then there's the kind of um, Morlocks or the, you know, the, the bestial ones that live underground that that humanity is sort of segregated into two paths that are the sort of cerebral and the visceral. I think that, you know, there's enough interesting 
material concept-wise in this that it could have been. And imagine, so some of the laughable effects, I mean, the floating head is one thing, but then it spits out guns and it just sort of somebody's inside chucking guns out of it. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I liked that. I thought that was cool too. But, but, but if you had had, if there had been, I don't know, I'm just saying, imagine like if some of the visual creativity that you see in the Blade Runner series, just the design sensibility. So if you had gotten designers that, had really been had the leeway to run with you know how could what humanity looked like in so it's supposedly some irradiated wasteland and the whatever but there's still horses right i mean the farmers are basically all just dressed in brown clothes and some of them have you know you clearly got a bunch of extras and they just pulled a bunch of clothes off the rack and made them muddy and put them on them there's no no, no more effort went into it than that. Like how life would have actually looked on the ground. And we ever we never get to follow. We never get to see any of these poor butchered other survivors, except when they're being mowed down or forced to harvest. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you had had a design mind that really could have gotten into the societies on both sides of this invisible bubble. I think it could have been a really riveting movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you handle some of the sequences differently, the action sequences a little differently. And you, not that Sean Connery is a bad actor, but I think um, he's not a bad actor. But I think that the James Bond series, which was really his cinematic experience up to that point, allowed him to be uh, the straight man, right? And he got away with a lot of the wry smile and the steely (laughs) glare. Um, Whereas in this movie, it really calls for a a much wider range of emotions. And his performance is pretty dry. Yeah. I thought, you know what I mean? Pretty Mm -hmm. dry for certainly in, in the finished watching of it, it could have sustained some much bigger emotional internal response out of the lead character. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm picking nits in a movie that yeah. kind of didn't work, but it worked well enough that there's a, there's a what if part of my mind that's like, what if this really had been taken seriously by somebody with major chops? Well, um, and I don't really know that, interesting. I mean, uh, like I say, you know, Borman. I mean, he did Deliverance, which which is a great movie, but it's he, great. He also but very different material. Yeah, very different material. But but he said. You know, they didn't really have the budget to do some of the stuff that he wanted to do. And, yeah, that seems pretty obvious to me. This is the kind of movie that I watch and think in our current, uh, you know, Hollywood's current remake craze. And I'm I'm sure I've, you know, gotten on this pet peeve a bunch of times in other episodes. But it's unlikely to happen because this was not a hit, hit movie, even though it's, you know, it's gained apparently a following over the years. This is the kind of thing that would make sense to remake to me because you have a lot of cool concepts here and, but not necessarily the ability to do everything, you know, at that time, as opposed to, you know, what Hollywood wants to do just because it's name recognition is like, let's remake the exorcist or let's remake the Godfather or whatever. And there's nobody who is saying, 
oh yeah, you know, the exorcist was great, but they, I wish there could have been a scene where the priest and the devil are right. you know, shooting lightning bolts at each other. And right. then he throws a building on top, you know, nobody's saying that to um, me, this is the perfect, and they, we, we, they remake movies that were already a success. You're yeah. Like, you're going to make a better psycho. Yeah. Psycho is next to perfect. And the parts of it that aren't perfect have become part of its perfection. Right. You know, you're not going to improve upon Psycho. So why? You just think there's going to be an audience that wants to come see, you know, V2? I, I guess there's I guess there's some merit in that. But a movie like this that had a ton of potential and not much of an audience. I mean, who who could you cast in it? Who would you cast as, as uh, Zed? Um, you talking about an actor today? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, I, I don't think they would be wearing the goofy outfit. I think they would do, you know, no, no, no. Imagine. But, uh, so imagine it's um, got, it's green lit. It's got a big budget. It's got a super visionary like, oh, okay. Um, Dune, what's his, what's his name? Um, that's doing new, new, yeah. Or... What if, what if he wanted to do this? Yeah. Right. It's like and his the studio uh, was like, yeah, the studio was like, um, Yes, yes, I will give you five hundred, you know, million dollars or a billion dollars, whatever they're giving people these days, seven hundred fifty million dollars to make this movie. Um, I think you could put a, like a Hugh Jackman in this role. You know, you could do Hugh Jackman. He certainly has the actor chops. I'm thinking of, um, oh damn it, who's the guy that was? Um, he's a uh, Bane. He's a uh, oh uh, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Yeah, he'd someone be good a little younger, role. maybe. Yeah. Just someone a little younger. Um, I love Hugh Jackman, but Hugh Jackman's, you know. He can do pretty much anything. He's not a young man anymore. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Of and, course, Con how old was Connery, though, when this, when they did this movie? Because he was, true. you know, that wasn't his real hair, you know. No, but I, I mean, it was the 70s, so it wasn't like he was in his 50s or 60s by then. No, no. Um, and back then, you know, Connery at 40 <laughs> probably looked more like... Hugh Jackman at 60. <laughs> that's true, yeah. That was another thing that's very different about this movie is watching it is like, he's in good shape, but... But, but not 2020 good shape. 2020, there would be... It would be Ryan Reynolds in this movie, you know? Yeah. Or Hugh yeah, Jackman. And that, and that would be a mistake. I think the only thing about Hugh Jackman is as great as he was in Wolverine, you know, even the brutality of the later Wolverine films was leavened by Hugh Jackman's Heart of Gold. Right. And I think that works for Wolverine. I think you can get away with Wolverine chopping people's arms off on screen because you love Hugh Jackman so much. Yeah. That you you're never gonna not you're never gonna Hugh Jackman's never gonna lose you. You right. know? And and Tom Hardy, I think of because he's mercurial. He really he can play Heart of Gold characters, but he can also play genuinely scary heavies. Mm-hmm. And I think you'd want something, somebody that can be, you know, mercurial in that way. Anyway, but, uh, you know, if you had a team like that and a green light and a big checkbook, he would get designers. Some of the design in Dune doesn't look particularly revolutionary, but Blade Runner 2049 did such a smash up job of taking the design elements of the first one and moving them forward 30 years. Right. Yeah. And introducing mm -hmm. some new stuff and. I just was, that's not a perfect film, but I was so blown away by the design detail and aesthetic of of that movie that I, I was like, I can't wait to see Dune because I, I can't wait to see what he does with 
some of those details. Yeah, it's a and shame this, that... Sorry, Go this ahead. could be a really interesting movie, I think, in the hands of somebody who is accomplished with dealing with material of this scope. This could be a great Netflix series. Oh man. You know, this could be this could be a great. You you could spend one season doing it and if it was absolutely breathtakingly popular, you'd have to challenge yourself to figure out how to what to do for season 2. But you could do 13 episodes of this and have it be a really rich material to till. Yeah. And I would recommend against doing the camp. You know, sometimes when you do a reboot, you want to throw somebody's going to show up in that red outfit. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. you're like, you didn't, you didn't need that. Yeah, (laughs) we we got it. We if we were interested in the original Zardoz, we watched the original Zardoz. I don't need you to tie it to that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so in terms of recommend, sorry, I keep stepping on you. No, no, no. That's fine. Uh, It. What I was going to say is, um, it. From the standpoint of this wasn't a, you know, an adaptation of a book or something like that. This was just this this writer director's original idea. Even though it doesn't all work, it's still. I mean, there's definitely things. We keep coming back to that, or I keep coming back to that opening with the giant head. I'd never seen anything like that before in a movie, you know. So before or since, before or since, yeah. So uh, there's enough. There's enough there uh, to, you know, give it a mild recommend. It's it's like like we said, it's an interesting but not all that entertaining movie for people that are big fans of Sean Connery. It's it, this is interesting to see him doing something really different, or uh, people that like John Borman's other films. Which um, I wanted to say, uh, have you ever seen Excalibur? Yeah, we which could I've do never Excalibur on here. I, I've never seen it. So, really? Oh, yeah. We should do Excalibur. It's you know I'm familiar with it. I've seen bits and pieces here and there, but I've never watched the whole thing. But yeah, I, also, I would definitely like to watch it. It's also a little slow, but I don't remember yeah. watching it and thinking, oh boy, I need to watch that. Yeah, you know, yeah. we should watch that. I, that's but, got, yeah, I would uh, love to do that. Liam oh. Neeson's in that too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. But this was, you know, I'll admit, I, I watched this in two sittings. I didn't get all the way through it. I, you know, in in one. Sure. Uh, I started it kind of late, you know, one night and watched about an hour of it and I was starting yeah. to get sleepy and I was like, Oh, I'll watch the rest, you know, the, the next day. So as I said, I don't, I'd always wanted to see it. I don't regret watching it. It wasn't like, wow, that was terrible. It was, you know, there's a lot of interesting concepts that just doesn't all quite gel. I agree hundred percent. And I guess I would say I recommend it with the heavy caveats Watch it if you're into the genre, if you're curious about the cult status of the film, and if you heed our warning that it is not an action movie despite being a Sean Connery movie and a sci-fi movie about the future, it's a thinker, and it's a meandering, often mood piece that lingers too long, like the mirror thing. They set that up, and they thought that was cool, and it just goes on way too long. Yeah. Um, And stuff like that, so... I mentioned to somebody that we were covering this tonight and he said, and I, he said, what is that? And I just sent him the image and he goes, Oh yeah, I, I've never seen that, but I know that movie. And he said, it's like an MST three K type thing. Right. And I said, no, not at all. That's what I, that's what I was expecting, but it's definitely not. 
Although they would have had a, they could have had a, a ball with this one. That's true. That's true. Yeah, there's a lot to there's a lot to make fun of in this one. But do you have a sense of what you want to do next time? Because we're we're running out of time here. So uh, as of our recording of this, uh, the Justice the Zack Snyder Justice League hits HBO Max on Friday. So what if we watch that? Next. I'm fine with that. Clarify uh, that for me. It's a little out of our wheelhouse because it's a well. We've done other modern movies because it's a big. It's a big. Um, like this was definitely the biggest blockbuster thing DC we've done. Universe, right? Yeah. And we haven't done a lot of that. But whatever. It's our podcast. Um, is this how long, is it? Like four hours or what? Four hours. Yes. So it is um, the it's Zack Snyder's director's cut, basically of the movie that the studio then whittled down to like three hours <laughs> something like that yeah so my understanding of it is while they were two things happened while Zack snyder was making the movie um the the studio wasn't t- totally on board with what he was wanting to do so they hacked a lot of it there and his daughter committed suicide while they were making the film so he left kind of for two you know i think it was primarily he left because he was distraught over the death of his daughter. And I believe his wife is his producing partner. So it was like the two of them working on it and, you know, their, their daughter had just died. And so he left, they brought Joss Whedon in who had done the first two Avengers movies and he did kind of a totally different thing with it. So then, um, you know, it wasn't super successful, um, and fans were clamoring for, you know, release the Snyder cut. So there was enough attention that, um, uh, HBO max or HBO is Warner brothers owns them, I guess. And Warner brothers agreed to let him recut it. And I think they gave him a budget of a hundred million or more than a hundred million. And I was reading, um, did he re- reshoot footage? Yeah, no? I was reading a review. I, I think they reshot stuff. They also, there was stuff that Joss Whedon had just scrapped. So I read a review, um, yesterday and they said that of the, you know, I kind of thought it was just going to be, uh, here's some deleted scenes, you know, that kind of thing. But they said of the, it's, it's a four hour and two minute runtime. And they said of that only 40 minutes is from the original cut. So they're like, it's an entirely different film. I remember watching the trailer and being like, I saw this movie, but this doesn't feel like the movie I saw. So maybe it'll be really interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I got it, you know, I didn't love the, the, you know, the original cut. And I, um, I had, once the trailers came out for this recut, my expect, I got to admit my expectations are a little low because I didn't think the trailers looked all that great, but the reviews have been pretty good on it. Um, and people are saying, you know, whatever you think of it, it's a totally different movie than what was released in the theaters. And this is truly his vision for what the movie is supposed to be. So, all right. well, let's do that so, yeah. for next time. I'm down. Yeah. yeah I'm I think curious. Cool. I love as much, um, it's the story, and uh, just tragic about his daughter. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I hate that that happened. But when, a, when, when, you know, the director and the producing partner leave a project midway, and somebody else picks it up, like it's always going to result in a strange m- 
a strange result, right? Two different visions, if they're not in alignment, are going to come up with a movie. And that's what it felt like watching the studio release was that somehow too too many cooks too many cooks prepared this dish and it it wasn't quite sure what it was trying to be and um so maybe maybe we're going to see a much clearer vision i mean i think uh zach snyder's a really interesting director and he's i know he's very close to this material yeah and by all you know who knows it's just what i've read online but um people say that he's a really good guy that doesn't mean you know, somebody being nice that they, that they create, uh, good movies, but you know, he's been, it's kind of interesting because it's, it's sort of like there's kind of half the internet that hates him and half the internet that, that really likes him. And obviously there were people who wanted this movie to come out and, and it did. So it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, see how it goes. I'd say this is kind of the second really huge thing for HBO max because you had, uh, the Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 1984, which, you know, kind of had mixed, yeah. um, a mixed reaction. And this is kind of the second big thing. So I'm inclined to go in with creatives like this. I'm inclined to go with the half of the internet that really likes him because the half of the internet that really hates on, especially comic book stuff, I find the reasons that they quote unquote hate something are often just really personal things <laughs> that they want that they didn't yeah. get. And they say, I hate Zack Snyder. And you're like, well, you don't hate Zack Snyder. You would not have directed the movie this way. Like you don't even know yeah. Zack Snyder. Yeah. So it's not, it's not cool for you to, you know, wish him dead because he did Batman differently than you want Batman to be done. Go make your own movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, fans, uh, and maybe we're all, we've all been guilty of this, you know, one time or another. But fans, when you when you're really close to these characters, uh, you know, fans kind of feel like they own them, and right. you know, and and uh, I don't know. So so yeah, it's even if the movie is not that great. I mean, he has done things that I really enjoyed. I um, we've talked about this before, but his Dawn of the Dead remake I yeah. think is really great. Um, that was entertaining. I, Watchmen, I love. You know, yeah, Watchmen's um, really interesting. So one thing I think we we can save this for next week, but the obviously people are or a certain segment of the of movie watchers are really enthralled with the idea of director's cuts of movies, and you know, there's been some really famous ones. Uh, Superman two is one that. There's a couple of different versions. The the first Blade Runner, I don't know how many different versions of that, you know, there there are. But, um, you know, with that, there was what was released in the theater. And then Ridley Scott had his director's cut later. So, um, you know, it's been a, done a lot during the history of film, I guess. And um, it's, always, it's always interesting to me when somebody gets to, especially if it's, a case like this where the movie's kind of been just taken away from them right and then they're able to re- release what they really wanted it to be you know right um so. great well that's our plan that comes out friday right for us friday when, yeah when hits, this one posts it'll be already have done but. yeah so we'll try to get this out kind of fast and, and this is another one i don't think i'm gonna be able to watch four hours all at once you know probably me neither uh, so but i'm just too old 
I know. Getting too old for this shit. Hey. <laughs> um, all right. Well, great to talk to you as always. Thank you for joining us for our discussion of Zardoz. Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. We're on most of the socials, if not all of the socials. Hit us up. Questions, comments, feedback, requests, you name it. Um, uh, and enjoy. <laughs> Go watch Zardoz. Uh, I don't know, or don't. Uh, <laughs> 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 In either way, we will talk to you next week.